0: Amen. Thank you, handpicked. Wonderful music. I uh, I think it's all right to tap your toe, and it makes me want to be on that way just a little bit longer. You know, I've been acquainted with handpicked for longer than I've been at Village Church—many years longer. Uh, handpicked journeyed to Spokane when I was uh, pastoring the Spokane Central Church, and they came at least one time. I think maybe two times. So. Uh, what a wonderful musical group, and they have some new members here, I, I noticed, and so they're filling up their ranks with uh, Dennis and Lori Rootbeck. Thank you very much, Dennis, Lori, for joining Handpicked, and of course the, the Dickersons holding down the, the foundation, Steve and Bill and Clint, so blessings on, on you folks. Thank you for your wonderful music today. I Also, before we begin, I just have to say I've been blessed night by night with the presentations uh, that Sean Boonstra is doing called Final Empire. We continue tonight at 7 o'clock. Maybe you remember from the bulletin announcements that we started in the chapel. That was our intent. We thought this would be a good place for us. We'll fill it well and uh, have a nice... uh, uh, venue for this meeting well it turned out that we had way too many people for the chapel so the first night we had to move into the sanctuary at about 150 people last night we had about 180 or 90 and I'm sure that tonight there will there'll be a, a good group that will be wanting to learn the, the uh, amazing story of, of how God is working through history um, in this world so Sean Boonstruck Come out tonight, uh, bring a friend, and uh, worship our Lord and see what amazing things He's doing in preparation for Jesus' return. Let's pause for a minute now before we start our our uh, study together. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll speak to us through Your Word as we open it, as we consider Your instruction, Your Your good news to us. Bless us through the ministry of Your mighty angels through the ministry of your spirit that works within, by your mighty power that's working in and through us. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know that fire departments deal with emergencies. So does God. Fire departments use ladders. So does God. Ladders are oftentimes associated with emergencies. The first and greatest emergency happened even before this world existed. In heaven, the highest officer made serious, malicious accusations against God. He said, he said that God was greedy. He said God was harsh. He said God was self-absorbed. He said God was unfair that God was unjust, and it was also so bizarre, so unfair, so unfounded. But somehow, somehow it gained traction. Among a few, quite a few. The falsehoods were so shrewdly, deviously, deceptively crafted, and and presented so Carefully and cunningly that it was, it was difficult to know truth from error. Then Adam and Eve got sucked into the storm. Truth was obscured by the liar's lies, and Adam and Eve found, found themselves in rebellion against God, outside the, the lines of His goodness, His, his mercy and truth. So, God sent a ladder. Jesus was God's rescue ladder. He came. He came to refute the charges that had been uh, labeled against God's character. He came to demonstrate the truth of God's love for us, the depth of His love for us, and He came to provide a way of escape, an escape route. This ladder, this ladder alone could rescue us from the consuming fire. But the the methods of firefighters <coughs> and the methods of God are vastly different. Firefighters often use force in order to rescue. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> firefighters sometimes carry people to safety while they are kicking and flailing. Sometimes they are unresponsive. But... God's efforts to save are infinitely more earnest but also much, much more discriminating. Isaiah said it so carefully and so beautifully. He said this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has has turned to his own way, her own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. We are all failures at living well, every one of us, no matter how well you do it without God. Our hearts are really, truly a battlefield of good wishes and evil tendencies. That is the human heart. Our hearts are the battlefield for the great controversy, that controversy between Christ and Satan, and such is the condition of every unsurrendered life and surrender by the way is not just a one-time thing surrender is a daily moment-by-moment need for me often unfortunately I think I've surrendered but I have a long way to go there have been times I'm sorry to say uh, that someone who is very special to me, someone who is so special, I mean, we've been together for, well, this spring, for decades. And that someone, when I am right in the middle of my, the process of surrender, it's called daily devotions, right, in, right then, when I'm right in the middle of that, that someone special asks me for something that... It somehow bothers me. It riles me. And I, right in the middle of surrendering to God, I say, can't you see I'm surrendering to God? I don't really say that. But that thought has gone through my mind. You know, it's, it's impossible for me. Impossible for me of myself to escape from this pit, my heart, is evil. I cannot change my heart. I can get all the degrees, I can get all the certificates, I can enter and learn from the best schools, have the best instructors, I can be hypervigilant with my willpower, I can do it as if it's my willpower is on steroids. I can carefully orchestrate an environment That is very helpful, but you know, I can add all those things together, but none of them answers the question that a surrendered heart to God can answer, a heart renewed by the grace of God. The Apostle Paul knew this struggle, the struggle of every human being. He said in Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh they are in conflict with each other so that you so that you are not well that that should be have an able in there you're not able to do whatever you want I'm sorry about that I my cut and paste must have uncut that one cut that one out so but you're not able to do whatever you want you've you've sensed that struggle You've seen that struggle in your heart. You've you've seen the clash between right and wrong. The conflict between your good wishes and your bad habits. You've seen that conflict. You know that your heart is that battleground. And you know, you've known the despair that can come with the failure to live up to your high ideals. You felt the inner reproach. You felt the hopelessness. You felt your your need for goodness. Paul felt it too. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 19 said, For I have this desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Have you felt that? Have you done that? Have you been there? But you know what? What sounds like despair and defeat is actually... The starting point. Starting point. Because human impossibility, human impossibility is a f- foundation for human freedom. It's a launching pad for, for Christian growth. Human impossibility. My heart is evil, and I cannot change it. Yeah, I can massage it. I can, I can go through this this struggle with with doing things right, but unless there is a hard surrender, unless there is a giving up of my will, unless there is a giving up of my ways to the will and ways of God, unless that happens, unless there is a a daily dying to the spirit of selfishness and self-centeredness, unless the basic core of my being is surrendered to God, it remains distant, discordant to the cords of heaven. That's the truth. And it's not as though God is arbitrary about His ways. It's that His ways are only and always unconditional love, eternal truth, impartial justice, absolute mercy, unbounding grace. But my ways aren't that way. No matter how good I try, my ways are not that way. I might produce a good show on occasion, but I never have a perfect heart. That's the truth. Jeremiah said it this way. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And Paul, again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's from the New Living Translation. I like the way it says it, just ruthlessly. That's the case. The core of my being is indelibly bent toward self-centeredness, toward wrong, toward evil. But here's the truth. I don't give up at this point. Because this is the starting point. This is the first step toward God. Instead of following my own personal inclinations, I choose God's will. However contrary that may be to my nature. Paul said it this way. I die daily. I die daily And I think the book, Steps to Christ, in chapter number two, says it beautifully. Education, culture, the exercise of the will, human effort, all have their power, proper sphere, but here they are powerless. Where? They may produce an outward correctness of behavior, but they cannot change the heart. They cannot purify the springs of life. There must be a, a power working from within, a new life from above before men can be changed from sin to holiness. That power is Christ. His grace alone can like, can quicken the lifeless faculties of the soul and attract it to God, to, to holiness, to Christ. That, my friends, is good news. That's why... That's why this place, the place of utter helplessness, is a place of beginning. Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said it this way. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Born again. This born again that Jesus talks about isn't something that we do by human effort. It's not something that, that, that is like starting over in life being born again from the womb at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. It's not that. It's, it's impossible to to restart this birth process, to repeat that whole thing. Jesus is talking not about physical birth. He's talking about spiritual birth. He's talking about making Him your Lord and your Savior. He's talking about putting God in command at the center of your life. He's talking about doing God's will instead of your will. He's talking about following His way so it becomes your way. That's what Jesus is talking about. You know, this is the second week. We're in a 13-part series here at Village Church, we're calling it Steps to Christ, Doing Life with Jesus. And our goal here over the next weeks and months will be to outline steps, talk about practices, habits, uh, efforts that, that bring us closer to God so that we are walking with Him, receiving His grace, empowered by His strength for a God-honoring life. That's what we want to do in 2020. And so we're giving ourselves to this. Last week, we talked about the foundation. God's love. That is the beginning point. everything. Everything flows from that truth. Everything is dependent upon that. God's love. This week, this week is the first step for you and me. The first step. And it's simply my need. Your need. That's it. The Christian life is not human modification. Christian life is not an improvement of the old. It's not an upgrade of the old. Christianity is transformation. A transformation of our nature. Christianity is a death to my old ways, to my old self, and a total, unconditional surrender to God. That's what it is. Christianity is not something you do for God. Christianity is something God does for you. That's what it is. Now you may not be able to trace back to the very day or the exact time and place where the gentle unseen breeze of God's Spirit wafted through your being and you accepted Him and said you wanted to be His follower. But Though you may not be able to identify that exact time, the effect of His Spirit on your life is unmistakable. Like the power of the unseen wind, God is working little by little, surrender by surrender, submission by submission, yes by yes. Even, Even in unconscious ways, impressions are being made that draw you to him unless you resist. It's not enough. It's not enough to admire God. It's not enough to say, my, isn't he good? Isn't he wonderful? It isn't enough to acknowledge that he is wise. It isn't enough to say he's just in everything he does. The Apostle Paul was all about that. And his life was one of constant conflict with himself. Paul knew that God was good. Paul knew that the law was just. He said in Romans seven twelve, the law is holy, the commandment holy, righteous, and good. All his years of education and training, yes, Paul knew the integrity of God's ways, but he also came to a point where he clearly saw the despair of his own being. He saw the discontent between his ambitions and the ways of God. He knew that there were times when anger controlled him. He knew that there were times when lust infected him. There were times he knew when bitterness clouded his mind. And every day he knew that there was that, that conflict between his will and his desires and God's will and, and God's ways. Every day he could see that yawning cavern between his ways and God's and he knew that there was something, something that had to be done beyond what he could do, beyond his own effort to bridge. He couldn't do it. It wasn't a matter of doing better. It was a matter of personal surrender. And he cried out, oh, wretched man that I am, wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? There was only one cry that could answer that. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That is the answer. Now, I have to say, I can hardly hope to do better than the Apostle Paul. (laughs) He was really good at, at being good and right and just. But the truth is, goodness, peace, salvation, hope, that's God's gift, not my attainment. God's gift. Romans 5.8 says, remember, though, it was while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. And that's really, that's really where it's all at. A recognition that I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I'm utterly unable to be good as I ought to be good. But you know what? That's okay. In fact, that's good that I recognize that because that's the only posture That salvation works. Because you know, sinners are the only ones God can save. Jacob is a good illustration of it. Jacob was afraid. He was afraid that he had totally cut himself off from God. Off from any hope. Alienated. He had deceived his father. He had stolen from his brother. He had usurped the birthright blessing that only God had charge over. That's Jacob. When you add it up, he was little more than an ambitious cheat, an egocentric, deceptive manipulator. That's Jacob. I like the way one author put it, as He was a dangerous mix of naive intelligence, driving ambition, and illusions of grandeur. That's that's Jacob. That's God's man. And you know what's interesting? He seems to have come by his ways naturally. He was born a twin, you remember. And at birth, coming out second, Jacob was grabbing his brother's heel at birth. He didn't like being second. And from that time on, from birth on, he was trying to manipulate things in his favor. Jade, Jacob, the manipulator. And you know the story, how it goes. Later on, when they're young adults, his brother Esau is returning from a hunt, and he's starved, and Jacob sees it as an opportunity to, to deny his older brother of his inheritance, given him at birth, and so for a little bit of lentil stew. Esau traded his birthright. Now, you can say that Esau was naive naive and, and impulsive. Okay, you can say that. He was. But you can also say that Jacob was a conniving, opportunistic deceiver. The cruelest deception was Jacob's plot to trick his own father, his old blind father, in order to get what was the most coveted of all blessing, and that was the the death blessing. Jacob deceived his father. Jacob betrayed his brother. Jacob lost his father's respect. He earned his brother's hatred. And within hours, he was on his way from his home for his underhanded deception, fleeing. He would never see his mother again. And he would be ever fearful of his brother's reprisals. And there he is, burdened with a sense of guilt and loneliness. Burdened with his sense that he was an outcast. Separated from everything that was worthy and worthwhile in life. Jacob, terrified that he was cut off even from God. From everything that mattered. He lay down to rest on the earth. And he used a stone for a pillow. Have you ever done that? Used a stone for a pillow? I never have. And I can't imagine doing it. But Jacob did. And he had a dream with that head on a pillow. no wonder he had a dream with his head on that rock, I would say, maybe. But, but anyway, he, in his dream, he saw a ladder stretched from where he was on earth all the way to the, where, the, the place where God was in heaven. And on that ladder, he saw in his dream angels scurrying Up and down, up and down that ladder on errands for God, for God's work. And that ramp, that ladder led right to the very place where God was, where Jacob saw God standing. And God had a message for this man, this Jacob, a message of hope and healing for, for who? A conniving deceitful, guilty sinner. Look at God's message to Jacob. Genesis twenty eight thirteen. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He's talking to Jacob. The deceiver, he's talking to Jacob, the cheat. He says to him, I am with you and I'll watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I have promised to you. He's talking to Jacob. This guy that's running for his life. What an amazing, what a gracious, what a, what a generous problem. Promise for a man who had just cheated his brother, lied to his father, and squandered his future. Jacob. When Jacob saw that ladder, he knew exactly what it meant. It meant there was hope. And that's what he needed. He needed a lifeline. That's what we all need. Jacob's deceit and underhandedness had earned him banishment from his family. Jacob deserved nothing from God. He deserved deserved not a single particle of this promise except that God was pursuing him. God was pursuing him. God has been called the divine lover. And he was looking for someone through whom he could carry his promise that he made to Jacob's dad and his grandpa. He needed somebody. And it was Jacob. I can't help but say that that's exactly where I am. That's exactly where you are. I don't need to know anything about you, but that's where you are. Because Jacob is a human race. Jacob is every one of us. Every one of us have details of our lives that are sorted. We're desperate. We're conniving. We're deceitful. We're lost. We are without hope. But across that chasm, between us and God, God puts a ladder Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. There's a bridge. It was an emergency. God provides that ladder to span the gulf between earth and heaven, between us, me, and God, you and God. Jesus is our stairway. Jesus is our stairway. There's no other. There's no other. His merits, his goodness, his divinity, his sacrifice, his atonement bridged that gap. Whenever, wherever, whoever uses a stone for a pillow, if you know what I mean, a stone for a pillow, whenever a human being, man or woman, boy or girl, opens their heart and cries out to God for help in desperation, whenever, Christ connects weakness and helplessness with infinite power. He connects us with God, our only source of help, our only hope, for anyone and everyone in this desperate, fallen human race. Now, I just have to say, at the moment of that dream, Jacob was a rascal. Just a rascal. And he was also decades from his wrestling match with God when he would make peace with God. He was decades from that time. You know the time when that time of full surrender that left Jacob with a limp because of his wrestling with God, the one source of help. He had a forever limp. But when Jacob woke up from this dream, he was far from perfect. He was a schemer. He had foibles that would curl your hair. But he knew this ladder, this remarkable ladder, was a God thing. He knew that. And he knew that although he didn't deserve to be rescued, he knew that he was lost. And he wanted it. He wanted to be rescued. And so he said yes. He said yes. He, he, said, he said yes, and he took that stone Must have been a flat stone. I don't know. That's what I would sleep on if I were choosing a stone for for a pillow. He propped it up somehow. I don't know, maybe with other stones. And he poured oil on top of it. And he made a vow. He made a vow to God. Look at this vow he made. If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me... F- hey, this, this is not a vow. This is like a, Jacob's making a, a negotiation. What's he doing here? Negotiating with God? If God will do this, if he'll give me food, if he'll give me clothes to wear, if he'll let me return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Wow, Jacob. And he also said, I'll give you 10%, Lord. Well, that's nice of you, since God's given you 100. The liar, the cheater, the schemer, the man running from God offers God a deal. I don't know about you, but I sure wouldn't have done that. But Jacob did. But the thing is, I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. But the most important thing, the most crucial truth is that although this is a challenging spot to be in, there is surrender. Surrender. And though far from perfect, God accepts it. That's all He wants from us. Just a surrender. Just a yes. Just just an acknowledgement that you accept him accept his plan God knows God knows we're wretched God knows that we're miserable God knows we're poor blind and naked and he knows that we can't make it without him there's no progress without his help we can only get there by the divine ladder only by the divine ladder only by God's unconditional grace and mercy every step of the way every step of the way And it's the truth that wherever you see a grain of decency, wherever you see a gesture of honor, wherever you see a word of integrity, you're seeing not good character, but you're seeing the Spirit of God at work in a person's life. That's what you're seeing. There is no true excellence. There is no true character without the goodness of God without the grace of God, without the mercy of God. Apart from him, we have no character worth anything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. And that mystic dream that Jacob saw, that ladder going from earth to heaven, is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save. He is the only medium of communication between heaven, God, and humanity. You remember Jesus' first conversation with Nathanael before when he was actually inviting him to be a a follower, a student. And he used this story of Jacob's ladder as a picture of his work. He said to Nathan, Nathanael, sorry, John 1, 51, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder. No. You'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus Christ is this. That ladder between heaven and earth, that ladder that's reaching from us to, to God is the only way. God's heart yearns for you with a love stronger than death. I love the way Steps to Christ says it in verse 21. I mean chapter in, on page 21. In giving up his son, he has poured out to us all heaven in one gift. Boy, that's, that's a statement worth, worth thinking about. In giving us his son, He's poured out all of heaven in one gift. Jesus' life for you. His death for you. His intercession for you. God the Father working above and through and with everything for you. The Spirit's indwelling and empowering and enabling in you. The unceasing work of the the angel messengers of grace for you. All of those things are for us in Jesus Christ all to save you, all to heal you, all to help you and me. God's answer to our emergency is a ladder. Jesus Christ. My answer to that is the same as Jacob's. Yes. Yes, God. I'll take it. What's your answer this morning? What's your answer? Heaven is enlisting every resource to win you, every strength to equip you, everything to empower you for good, and to commission you to serve and to share. Again, steps to Christ, motive stronger, and agencies more powerful could never be brought into operation. Think about that. Into operation for what? For who? For you and me. For your salvation and mine. The archbishop of an Eastern European Eastern Orthodox Church was visiting the United States, invited to give a lecture in Chicago at a prominent theological seminary. One afternoon, we wanted to do some sightseeing, so he boarded a city bus, and as soon as he sat down, he felt a tapping on his shoulder from a woman behind him. He turned and looked and knew immediately that she was obviously poor, beautifully black, and wonderfully rich in voice. And she said, Mister, has you ever been born again? The archbishop, you know, English was his second language. He thought he heard what she said, but he couldn't quite imagine that she would say that. Maybe he had misunderstood. And so with polite reserve, he said, Excuse me. With a deep rolling voice, the woman repeated, I says, has you been born again? The archbishop was taken aback and a bit miffed. He replied with as much dignity as possible. He said, my dear madam, I am the archbishop of the church in my country. I'm here to give a lecture at a prominent theological seminary. the bus continued to roll on and at a stop the woman rose to get off before she did she stopped and looked at this proud religious man who was dressed in his flowing robes and had on all the regalia of his archbishop position and she persisted bluntly mister that ain't what I asked you I asked you has you been born again And then she turned and walked off the bus. Well, her words reverberated in that archbishop's ears, and they burned in his soul. He went back to his hotel room, found a Gideon's Bible in his drawer, and read from the story about being born again. And it was with increasing clarity and conviction that he knew that even with all of his religious training, even with all of his devotion, all of his service, all of his recognition, he had never been born again. So he slipped to his knees that night, and God heard his cry. What's your answer today? What's your answer? Has you ever been born again? Jesus offers a way of escape. He's the ladder. Accept it today. And it begins the greatest experience that you'll ever know being a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, here today, we come with all sorts of experiences and all sorts of backgrounds, each one of us unique and different, but every one of us in need. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've accomplished, we all are in need. Because we have problems. We have a heart that is, that is deviant by nature and can only be controlled by you as you, by your strength and power, renew us day by day. Lord, so this morning, we here at Village Church and those of us who are watching either by Blue Mountain TV or live streaming, we're, we're hearing your voice speaking to us and you're saying to us, here's the ladder. You're in an emergency. Take hold. And we today, we today are saying yes, Jesus. Yes. We accept. We accept your salvation, your grace, your mercy in Jesus Christ. We turn our will over to your will. We give you control of our lives. Yes, we'll have to do that every day, many times a day for the rest of our lives, but that's what we're doing. We're turning control over to you. You are our Lord. You're our Savior. You're the only one that can bridge the gap between us and heaven, between us and the life that we want to live, a life of integrity and peace and joy and justice and honor. You give that to us by your strength and grace daily. A life that isn't just for this life, but forever. And we accept it today. And we thank you for offering it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.